Hi, hi, hello. Welcome back to the Sounds About Right podcast. Today's guest is Kat Bogard, a Wisconsin-based freelance writer who specializes in careers, productivity, freelancing, and entrepreneurship. She's a regular contributor to a variety of company blogs, including Trello, Toggle, Reich, QuickBooks, and Atlassian, and her byline has appeared in numerous outlets, including The Muse, Inc., Fast Company, Forbes, and more. When she's not cranking out work for her clients, her passion project is sharing advice and resources for freelancers through her newsletter, private Facebook community, and her personal website. She's the proud owner of two rebellious and ridiculous rescue mutts, Bert and Gracie, and is a true Wisconsin girl who thinks everything is better with a little bit of cheese. And that's true. It is. Let's get started. And welcome to the Sounds About Right podcast, a podcast about writers for writers, wannabe writers, and people who just love to hear about writers and writing. How many times can I say write in one sentence? We'll find out. I'm your host, Abby Wolf, and each week I'll be talking to different writers of all kinds. Novelists, copywriters, technical writers, screenwriters, you name it. I'll talk to writers who write full-time, writers who squeeze it into their spare time, and more. Basically, I'm chatting with anyone who's passionate about putting their thoughts onto paper in any way. We'll explore how they got into writing, their creative process, their favorite writing tips, and so much more. Thanks for listening in. I'm happy to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Hi, Kat. Welcome to the Sounds About Right podcast. Hi, Abby. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm so excited to be recording with you. Uh, It's such a different uh, kind of set up for me because I'm used to video chatting with you about, you know, where we just kind of complain and whine about our lives. <laughs> um, but yeah. I I have learned so much from you. And for all of my many listeners, Kat and I met, gosh, almost four years ago when she was a staff writer at The Muse and I started as an editorial intern. So it's been like four years of freelance friendship. Wow. Time flies. It's, it's really crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to jump right into one of my favorite stories, uh, which is how you just launched yourself into the freelance world. So can you take us back to that fateful day? <laughs> D-Day. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it feels like it was yesterday. And in some ways, it feels like it was a different lifetime. But I worked full-time in marketing before kind of taking the leap into freelance. And it was sort of a weird situation because I really did like my job. I wasn't one of those people who was trapped in this job that I hated and was so miserable and needed to find a way out. Like I liked what I was doing. It was just, you know, a large chunk of it was administrative. Um, I didn't really feel like I was flexing my creative muscles and didn't know if that was something that I could do long-term. So I started thinking a lot about kind of my next career move. What did I want to do, you know, for my next step? Um, So really sat down and started to think about like, what have I liked about previous jobs and previous experiences and writing kind of kept coming up. Um, So I know it sounds like I jumped right into it and, and I did because I really didn't have much lined up and I didn't have a backup plan, but there was a lot of like thought and crying and ice cream involved in making that choice. And so 
I made the decision to kind of take the leap and do my own thing. It wasn't as foreign to me as it is to a lot of people because both of my parents are actually small business owners. They both have LLCs. So I had them as a resource through the whole process. And so it was in, I think in June of what year was that now? 2014, I went into my boss and I said, here's my two weeks notice. I'm getting the heck out of here. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. And now I'm mean, get into it more, but I think now it's pretty safe to say that you're a very successful freelance writer. And I know you're going to push back on that just because we all have imposter <laughs> syndrome. But um, it's, I mean, for me as somebody who's one year into it and has, you know, I, things have gotten better, but I still have days where I'm like, oh, I, can't, I can't do all this and I don't know how to do it. And I'm never going to make any money. I mean, I am making some, but um, it's inspiring to see, um, okay, people who are like me started out like me and I can get there if I keep working hard. Yeah. I mean, that's nice of you to say. I like that you said that you knew I was going to push back on it because like you said, I think we all kind of struggle with that. And now even, you know, five years in, I still struggle with saying that I'm successful or saying everything's going well or calling myself a, a business owner. I think that that's like such a strange mindset. And I think it's part of the kind of the freelance journey too, is that you are kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I think all of us might just be a little superstitious to be like, yes, I'm successful and everything's going perfectly because it might not tomorrow. Well, yeah, because there's always this, I feel like there's this link between stability and success. And so mm -hmm. with freelance, it's like, yeah, you can be really successful, but that doesn't mean you have stability. You may have more stability depending on what your gigs are, but it's never 100% stable. Right. There are no guarantees. And but I like to think that that's true for probably any career, which is, you know, what I, I kind of tell people, especially now that I've gotten, you know, a little more sure footing in my career, but everybody says, you know, I don't know how you do that. There's so much uncertainty. And sometimes I like to push back on that and say that I have more certainty and stability because it would really take a lot for me to lose all of my income in one fell swoop. Um, if I lose a client that might hurt, it stings, but I still have a business and I still have an income. Whereas there's really no guarantee or certainty in full-time jobs. And it's going to be a lot more, I don't want to say more likely, but more possible for them to have their whole livelihood shifted in a single moment than it is for me. Oh yeah. It's so true. And I think the other thing I was going to say is that when you're working for yourself, there is no one there to give you structured feedback, like performance feedback. So yeah, sure, you're getting um, feedback from editors, but it's mostly like change all this, then change that. And okay, this is good, but change this and move this around. And whereas in most jobs, there's your boss who can give you feedback and is supposed to be giving you at least an annual review. So we're kind of all on our own in, in terms of building ourselves up and, and making ourselves feel good about the work that we do. And that's really hard. So I feel like with us, not just you and me, but a lot of freelancers or small business owners, imposter syndrome can be even worse. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I think that that's like the flip side that people don't often think of. You know, I think the conversation is changing a little bit, but a lot of it centers on, you know, the perks of freelancing, particularly with everybody wanting, you know, more flexibility and greater work-life balance and more control over their careers. Like, and there are a lot of positives, but there are negatives associated with freelancing too. And I think that that's a big one. 
that just doesn't really get talked about as frequently and is something that like I personally struggled with when I was getting started and still struggle this to struggle with to this day because I'm a very goal-oriented person. I like progress. I like feedback. Like anybody, I like praise and recognition. And that's just, like you said, not something that you get particularly in an, like the way you would in a structured environment. It's something that you really kind of have to pursue and take initiative with yourself as a freelancer, which is hard when you're kind of just trying to keep your head above water some days. Yeah. So I'm going to rewind a little bit because mm-hmm. I want to know, did you write when you were younger? Like where did this, where do you think this want to write came from? Oh my goodness. I so badly want to be one of those people who's like, I was born to be a writer. Um, I've done it since I was born. And in some ways that that's true, I always was a strong writer. It was always something that I excelled at in school, but it wasn't really something that I ever did like for fun or honestly that I ever even really had a passion for. Um, Growing up, like my background was always in theater. That's what I did. That was my identity. That's what I started going to college for. Like that was my plan. And when I decided to move out of, you know, musical theater and music in general, I kind of went through this whole like identity crisis of crap. Like that was who I was. I've never done anything else. What now? Um, And I did some writing a little bit growing up. Like I did a random thing for the local paper where I like reviewed cheaper by the dozen when that was in theaters. Um, and I like any kid I went through, yeah, I went through phases where I would keep like random diaries and journals. Um, but I think I really started to kind of develop a, a passion and an interest and a love for writing more so when I was in college and kind of just exploring what might be a good fit for me. I think that was when I really started to realize like, Oh, this is something that I also enjoy and something that I'm also good at. And it, it wasn't all just musical theater. Like this is a skill and an interest that I could foster as well. But I think that's important too, is I, I hear the advice a lot of, if you don't know what you want to do with your life, if you don't know what your passion is, like think back to what you really liked doing when you were a child. And I think that is good advice to like, at least think about that and to explore if there's anything kind of hidden in your childhood habits or routine. But there's also like, it's just goes to show that not every piece of advice fits everybody. And so if you develop mm-hmm. a passion for something later on in life, um, that made it sound like it was much later in life for you, but like in college or high school, or even later than that, like it's okay to pivot and pursue that route. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, it's worthy advice to reflect on maybe what you were interested in way back when, because I think, The whole sentiment of that is we had like this, you know, pure kind of unbiased outlook on things, which is, is true. But I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but when I was growing up, I wanted to be a bird. (laughs) So like not a realistic career ambition for me. Um, But I, I, I like the sentiment, but I also worry sometimes that that advice kind of pegs people into a certain path or a certain journey where like you and I have talked about a million times before, like career paths are not always linear. And I think that there's a little bit of guilt and shame that comes with like changing your mind or bouncing around or just not being sure. And I mean, that was me. Like, I, I don't find any shame in that. I think sometimes it takes you a while to figure out what you want to do. I'm just like snapping over here in agreement. Was there a specific (laughs) type of bird that you wanted to be? Just a bird. And I honestly, I don't know where, where this came from. Hmm. Maybe I just wanted to to fly. I also like, just to make myself sound like the most terrifying child ever, which I probably was, 
But my mom did recently find like some of my old diaries and journals that I would write in when I was like very young. And I had this one that was like pages and pages of like detailed instructions on how to care for a cat. I personally have never had a cat. <laughs> like I have never owned a pet cat, but I wrote just pages on like, there was this whole instruction manual on like what to do if your cat is eating voles in the yard. <laughs> and I don't know where in my brain that that came from, but that is the sort of stuff that I would write as a, as a small child. Well, I really want to check back in at, like at a later point and um, have you tell me exactly what to do if my cat is eating a bowl. I don't know right. if there are bowls in Maine and I don't know um, my cats live inside, but I, I need to know what right. way forward. Hey, I, am, I am here to dish out all the advice that I have from my non-existent experience as a cat owner. Look at you. You're a cat whisperer, a vole protector, mm -hmm. and a writer. Yeah, many talents over here. Okay, so you decided that you wanted to be a writer, you gave your notice, and then what was your first step? What did you do? You walked out of the office that day and what? Went to Dairy Queen. Ooh, was my first step. Nice. <laughs> a little celebratory Oreo blizzard. Ah, the best. And I mean, honestly, I just, I kind of jumped right in. I'm trying to reflect back on like my most tactical steps. I had taken care of a few of the nuts and bolts things before I actually left my job. So I had like got my LLC set up. I went and got, you know, a business checking account. I had, um, you know, purchased a domain name, did all those things before I left my job, because it was really important to me that even though I didn't really have a steady client base or really have any clue what the heck I was doing. I still wanted to feel like I was running towards something and not away from something. So I did get those kind of building blocks set up before I took the leap. And then my last day of my job was actually like right before the 4th of July holiday. So then I was like gone for vacation, then came back from that and was like, oh, I mean, I guess I, I have to do this thing now. And so like really the bulk of those early days were spent getting my website up and running. So I would have kind of this online presence and a portfolio to share with prospective clients. And then I just really like hit the ground running and started just aggressively like networking and pitching and just trying to find jobs, which I think any newbie or even veteran freelancer will tell you like, that is, I think one of the biggest hurdles when you're getting started is like finding work. Yeah. I mean, and Okay, so I know you said that your parents are both small business owners. They had LLCs, so I'm assuming that that's how you knew to even get that. But I feel like you were like better set up and ahead of the game than maybe it's just me. <laughs> Definitely just me. Um, but like, how did you even know to do these things? So to get a checking a business checking account to um, to oh gosh, I'm totally losing my words right now. Um, what are the other things you did? Oh, to like build a portfolio to like, I mean, it, it's all is such common sense to me right now after a year in it, but I ha had no idea about any of this when I started. Right. And that's so easy to lose sight of when, I mean, I think that's true for anything. Once you're in it for a while, you forget like how much you didn't know when you were getting started. I was super fortunate and like, definitely don't, you know, neglect my own privilege and having two parents who are small business owners and could really kind of like hold my hand and walk me through all of that. That being said, like they're in totally different industries than I am. Um, so like maybe the way I did things to start didn't end up being the best fit for me, but it was still helpful to have like that resource to lean on as I was getting started. So kind of those like 
business logistics in terms of like an entity, like an LLC, a checking account, like that was all just like handed down on high for my parents. Like here, here's what, here's what you need to do. You need this for tax purposes, government purposes, liability purposes, whatever it is. Um, that all kind of came from my parents. The rest was just like feverishly Googling how to become a freelance writer and how to land clients. And I just kind of knew, I think from even just traditional job search experience in the past that like, I didn't really have any experience in this regard. And I was going to need that in order to start to land clients. Nobody was going to take a chance on me and give me my first gig and offer me a paycheck. So a lot of what I did in those early days was honestly writing for free or writing for pennies at a time, just so I could start to get a byline, start to get some published clips that I could show. Um, even wrote for like a regional or like a local women's magazine about a variety of topics. And I remember like, I thought I was just like rolling in it because they paid me like $50 for every 600 word article. And I did one a month and I was like, oh, I have made it to the big time. Well, you kind of did. I mean, not the big time in the way that we would think about it now, but um, it's hard to be a freelance writer. And I think getting that first like paid gig that's, you know, more than pennies is really exciting and it's it starts to forge the way for you yeah that's very true and that's what i like to you know remind people who particularly those who are like early in their freelance careers is like i think it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that you're getting paid to do what you love and what you're passionate about and it in the at the end of the day like when you're just getting started, it doesn't really matter how much it is. Like, don't beat yourself up over the fact that you're not getting, you know, $1,000 feature articles in, you know, the New York Times or whatever it is. Like, you're earning a paycheck for something that you love. Like, that's a big deal. And that a lot of people are scared to do. I have a lot of people who tell me, like, mm -hmm. wow, I can't believe, like, you've done this with your life in a positive way. It sounds really negative. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you made that life decision. Or, like, wow, that's so <laughs> cool. And I'm always, like, I'm always happen to be in the midst of like one of my days where I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Mm -hmm. And I have yeah. to take that outside perspective and be like, you're right. Like I, I built this myself and it may still be a work in progress, but it's pretty damn cool. Right. And I mean, it's, it's always going to be a work in progress. I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And so just to be like completely transparent with people who are listening, because I think this is an important conversation to have. Did you save up money before you left your job? Because I do totally agree with like writing for free or writing for pennies at first in order to get that portfolio. But there's then also the fact like you don't have much of an income coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those real world concerns, which I think is honestly like the biggest question that people have about freelancing, but it's one that so many people are afraid to ask um, because it's just sort of taboo to talk about money. But I'm, it's, I mean, you know, from being friends with me and following me, through all of this, like I'm super transparent about money. It's not something I'm shy about. So I did, when I knew that I was going to leave my job there, right then I started saving up. I think I had about enough to cover maybe like three to four months of living expenses of just like my bare bones expenses. And anybody who knew me during that time will tell you, like, I didn't spend money on anything. Like I just kept everything I had. So I knew I could just like cover my basic living expenses well, I tried to get this thing up and running. 
full disclosure, like it did not end up being enough. It took me way longer than I thought it would to, um, you know, get this thing up and running and really feel like I had my feet under me financially. But it's another area where I was like very lucky to, I lived with Ty at the time, who was my boyfriend, is my now husband. Um, so we lived together. So he was able to cover a lot of, you know, like rent and utilities and those sorts of expenses. Well, I like still tried to scrap together enough for like my car payment or my student loans at the time. So it's some of the biggest advice I give to freelancers is like, it's great to have a dream, but like, don't necessarily do it the way that I did <laughs> because it caused a lot of undue stress um, and anxiety and the financial concerns are real. Like if I could just tell you, pursue your passion and follow your dream, like that'd be great. But at the end of the day, we all still have bills to pay. So like plan for that, prepare for that, save for that it's going to be stressful enough to get things up and running without those financial concerns on top of it. Yeah. And I think people have to be really realistic too. Like mm -hmm. this is probably not something that can be done unless you go like in a city like New York city or San Francisco, mm -hmm. unless you're going from an incredibly high paying job and have um, a lot of savings or, or whatnot, because you're just not at the beginning going to be able to, bring in $4,000 a month for just rent. It's just mm -mm. not going to happen. Yeah. And no, yeah, I mean, it takes a long, and I mean, in the beginning I had like no shame. I did so many different things to just bring money in the door. I took a shoebox of business cards from a guy who lives in my area and like typed them into a spreadsheet for an hourly rate. And I wrote resumes and I wrote about storage units and like I did whatever I could to, well, Ty always told me, like, stop saying you'll do whatever people will pay you for because that sends the wrong message. But I did a lot of professional tasks. Does that sound any better? Probably not. I think every, I, I think did a lot of everyone knows what you mean. <laughs> okay. Good. I always worry about it because I would say that a couple times and Ty would be like, well, oh, you might want to rephrase that a little bit. She did things within the parameters of writing and administrative tasks. Yes. And it was all very legal and ethical <laughs> good to know and and uh, i advise everybody to um only do legal and ethical work yes that's very important. biggest piece of advice <laughs> if you walk away with nothing else from this conversation make it that keep it legal yes always okay so let's let's move on to the kind of fun stuff i'll say which is now now that you're in it you're an established freelance writer how do you come up with your pitches? Oh my gosh. Is that not just the eternal struggle? Yeah, tell me the secret. Ugh. I think like everybody, I have days too where I'm like, I've written everything there is to be written. I have no more ideas. It was a very good run while it lasted. But like I, my biggest advice about pitching is I think at least for me personally, the worst thing that I can do is to sit down and be like, well, I have to pitch this publication. Like, what should I pitch them? I think that's a totally like kind of backwards mindset for the entire process. Instead, I like to keep like a running list of like, I have lists everywhere on my desk, in my phone, like wherever you can have lists, I have lists there. So I kind of like to just kind of store inspiration and gather it there, whether it's like a quote or an idea or some sort of little like nugget or something somebody said to me or an interaction I had or an Instagram caption I saw, like whatever it is, I like to kind of store that inspiration so that when in doubt, I can always return to that and have it spark something for me 
um, and see what I can come up with. But usually like I'll make time to do that on a regular basis. And that usually helps me kind of generate a running list of article ideas. And then I'll look for the right place to pitch those to rather than like finding a place I really want to write and being like, Oh, what could I possibly pitch to them? Because I feel like, like that just gets hard. Okay. So let's say that you have a career idea. It's very vague. And I'm saying career because that is your niche. Um, but let's say you have an idea about um, a to-do list. You want to write a to-do list article. Okay. Um, again, pretty vague because we've written about 35 of those a year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You have this idea. It's written down in front of you. How do you find publications that you think it would fit? Yeah. So that's a great question and also can be a big challenge. So, I mean, since that's an article that's, you know, already in my niche, like I I probably already have a roster of places or editors or contacts that I would get in touch, you know, get in touch with about that. But if it weren't that sort of circumstance, I always, so I'm a big fan of Twitter. You, you know, Mm this, um, so I use the search functionality on Twitter. That's even where I'll like find, Um, jobs to include like in my newsletter or things like that, I'll search different key terms, looking for a freelance writer, hiring a freelance writer, accepting pitches, pitch me. Um, And that'll pull up like, you know, you can start by latest, all the most recent tweets from editors or publications who are looking for freelance writers or accepting pitches, um, are looking for things and certain ideas. So I'll always peruse there to see what comes up. Otherwise, and I just mentioned this to somebody a couple days ago who is asking like, I have a niche and I don't know how to find other places that like fit this subject matter. How do you do that? And one of my favorite tactics, which maybe it's a little sneaky. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. When I was (laughs) getting started was there were so many other writers in my niche, many who, you know, now I know personally that I like admired and I loved their work. So I would, when I stumbled across one of their articles, wherever it was, I would always click through to their bio, which would lead me to their website. And then once I was on their website, I would look at their portfolio and other places that they've been published. And without fail, I would find other outlets or publications that I had never heard of that were career or productivity oriented that like then I added on my list to be pitched. Okay. So it's kind of like a backwards way of like, find the writers you admire and find where else they've written. By the way, that's not sneaky at all. That's incredibly smart. It's not like you're at, like, finding yeah. their social security and then like, digging into their... Right, like their blood type and their mother's maiden name. Yeah. But I always felt kind of sneaky when I did it because maybe that's just like a whole perception of freelancing too. And it's so not true because I always feel this way even slightly sometimes when I like refer someone to a job or like tell them that a place that I write for is accepting pitches. I'm always like, oh my gosh, like they're going to be better at me than this. And I'm not going to have any more work, which never ends up happening. But I always felt that way when I was doing it to other freelancers, I was like, oh, I'm just totally like tearing through their portfolio and finding places I can write. I think it's really (laughs) smart. I mean, I I understand though. It feels like a bit like you're cheating. Like even when you told Mm -hmm. me like, hey, Trello is looking for pitches. And then I uh, um, DM them on Twitter. And I said, um, Kat Bogard, let me know. Like, even when I wrote it, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm really name dropping right now. But at the same time, I don't know if my name would have been picked out if I hadn't done that. Right. And I mean, honestly, and I know you've talked about this before too, like connections are so huge in this like industry and in this career field. Like sometimes you just have, 
you have to name drop. It's the only way to get through. Well, and how many times, you know, you and I both wrote for the Muse, which is career oriented. And um, how many times have we told people or written or whatever? And I'm, I'm a coach for them as well. Like, find somebody who works this company, connect with them, form a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And then if you do apply and submit your resume, like your name is more likely to, to bump to the top because they know you. Like, why is it okay to do it for traditional jobs, but we don't feel okay doing it for what we do? Yeah, right. I mean, it really is the, it is the same thing. And it like really does just carry so much weight. So many of the opportunities that I've gotten and the gigs I've landed have been through like people and connections more so than they've been through a job board or just a random cold pitch that got accepted. Right. And, and I mean, I think it's all about being tasteful and respectful too. Like I would never email you and say, Hey Kat, can you send me the list of like all the editors that you work with? Oh, but people do I know. that to me. And I just think like, <laughs> it's horrifying. Like, no, I mean, it, you just have to be really tasteful. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Right. And I, I mean, I can kind of like relate to where those people are coming from. Like it, it never fails to infuriate me when people are like, well, can't you just like give me their contact information or like, can't you just send this in for me or whatever it is. But like in those moments when I'm like ready to check my computer out the window, like I try to think back on, you know, several years ago when I was in that position, like I reached plenty of moments where I was just so frustrated that I was like, somebody just give me the easy way in. Like, just give me the answer. Like, give me the magic pill. I can't deal with any more rejection. I can't deal with any more of this. Like, so I can kind of relate to that. Like, well, can't you just do it? But also like, don't ask yeah, me and that. I might've felt that way, but I never asked right. anybody. And I think there's a very big difference between coming up with a good idea yourself and then trying to find the person and then maybe being like, hey, Kat, like I had this really good pitch idea for Trello. Again, I'll use them. Um, I'm, I'm looked for so-and-so's email. I found this, I, it bounced back. I'm wondering if you'd mind, like, if you know what it is, like, there's a very big difference between like, Hey, I came up with this idea on my own. I've done all this work and I just need like one extra push and a big difference between that. And then just asking you for like, give me all your insider like details that you've worked really hard for. Right. Yeah. You have to put in some legwork yourself. And I think that's true for any professional relationship. You can't expect somebody else to just like do it all for you. That's where, you know, like resentment comes in and it just never really works out in your favor because like, why, why, what do I owe you? Why would I do that for you? Nobody did that for me. Right. And I just want to do a quick plug for your newsletter. So anybody that's listening, who's interested in writing, whether it's full-time freelance or on the side freelance or just one time in your life, um, there's this really great section. It's my favorite section where Kat actually um, lists out three, sometimes four, uh, current freelance opportunities. So publications are people who are mm -hmm. looking for to hire freelance writers. Um, and it's a range of things. So instead of reaching out to Kat and asking her for all of her intel, which you shouldn't do, I'm not endorsing that, just sign up for her newsletter <laughs> and then you get three in your inbox box every Friday. There you go. That was a brilliant plug. Thank you this for that. This podcast is not sponsored by Kat Bogart's <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> yeah, read the fine print. <laughs> um, okay, so you pitch you get, um, let's say you get assigned uh, an article, they accept your pitch. And then what, like, what's your process for writing the piece? So it can vary from client to client. I would love to say that I have like this super refined process where I like light a candle and between the hours of 10 AM and noon, I like turn on my productivity playlist, but I'm just kind of all over the place in that regard. I typically, I wasn't this way when I first started because I just wanted to like hit the ground running and get things moving. Now my like general preference 
with any client is to start with an outline for the article. I find that that like really helps ensure that we're on the same page, that I'm not sinking a ton of energy and hours into a draft that they're like, oh, oh, this is not what we were looking for. So generally it starts with, again, depending on the article, quite a bit of research. That's oddly enough, one of my favorite parts of the writing process is really finding, you know, psychological studies and surveys and facts and quotes and things that I might be able to use in an article. I kind of dump those all into my outline document that doesn't look anything like an outline to start with. Um, and then once I've kind of like sunk my teeth into a little bit of research, I start to kind of move things around, pull together an outline, um, you know, an introduction, my main points, a general conclusion, call to action, whatever it is. And then I'll submit that to the client and say like, hey, open to your you know, notes and your feedback. Let me know what you think. If they have suggestions, additions, we'll kind of work through that process. And then I move forward with actually drafting, which is 10 million times easier to do once you've gone through the outline phase. So, I mean, that process might take me a little longer than if I had just jumped right in and wrote the draft. But I think the time it saves in like revisions and headaches and like weeping into an open desk drawer is like well worth it. It's a great visual, by the way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Just like a a, a desk drawer full of tears. My tears. Yeah, I do a lot of crying over here. <laughs> I was telling someone the other day that when I first moved to Maine, I just like, I was kind of lonely and had a hard time and just like sobbed into a frying pan a couple of times. And, I was, and they were like, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, I literally did. I'd be cooking dinner and just like <laughs> sobbing into my frying pan. <laughs> Yeah. No, I get that. Like sometimes it all just hits you. And I mean, desk drawer, frying pan, like whatever's convenient. You need to catch your tears. Right. So um, one thing I forgot to ask, and because I thought about it a little bit with outlining, I think that people might have, might struggle with outlining because even though it's directly related to the article, they don't directly relate it to the payment that they're getting for the article. So they hate to spend the time mm -hmm. on it. And I have the same thought about like setting aside the time for pitching. Um, so I guess mm -hmm. the question is, how do you reconcile as a freelance writer? Because when you're, it, it's so it's so different freelance writing versus working full-time for a company where um, literally every, every moment, every product you do is tied to a, a number, right? So how do you mm -hmm. reconcile those times where it's not really directly related to your income, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's tough. Like all of that non billable time is like essential to being a freelancer and keeping your business up and running, but it sucks because like you said, you can't assign really any monetary value to it. I think I've always just kind of looked at it as like part of the deal. You know, there's that whole cliche of like working on your business versus in your business. And I've always known that like in order to kind of keep this thing up and running, I was going to have to invest some energy into, you know, like whether it's administrative tasks, like updating my expenses and, you know, sending my invoices or marketing tasks, like adding some new pieces to my portfolio or like sourcing new clients, sending pitches. Like it's all just kind of like part of it. I think one thing that really helps me is to kind of set aside some time, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's weekly, whether it's monthly, but like literally blocking it out on your calendar, which Abby, you know, this is some of our like favorite advice for all things career related, but putting it on your calendar and just saying like, okay, well, I guess Wednesday morning from 8am to 10am, that's like when I do some marketing tasks. And like, once you kind of get into that routine, it just kind of becomes more of your schedule. And I think helps you get away from a little bit of that, like, well, I'm not making any money today. I didn't do anything that earned me any income today. Cause it really is 
important. Um, and that's another kind of downfall. I'm sorry if you hear my dog. No, they're welcome. They're invited to the episode too. <laughs> they really want to make an appearance. Um, but when we like when we like talked about the professional development, one other pitfall of freelancing, I think, is that it's so easy to like assess your value and your success only based on your income because that's like the easiest benchmark to look at. But like that is not all that's involved. I love to think about like what new skills did I develop? What challenging projects did I take on? What new connections did I make? Like there are so many other metrics for success that are not tied to your income. But I think just like, I mean, like we said, real world concerns, you need to pay the bills. It's just the easiest thing to point to, to say like, was today a successful day or was this year a successful year? When it's not really the whole picture. I feel like we need to develop some sort of freelance template, like freelance performance review template where we can review ourselves and on all of those things mm-hmm. that you just said. So like, yeah, income will be part of it, but new connections, like fun articles that you that you liked writing. And then we can fill it out mm-hmm. each year or quarterly or whatever, and then share it with fellow freelance friends. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome, even for like, yeah, developing new goals, because like, yeah, it could help fill the void of kind of the lack of that structured development program that most freelancers lack, because I just hate always, and I'm guilty of it too, I always like pull up my accounting reports and I'm like, oh, well, this was a light month, but it's like, I liked this month, I had a lot of fun this month, I met a lot of new people, I did a lot of fun things, like, why do I always have to think that this month was a failure because I earned a thousand less dollars than I did the previous month? So, I mean, speaking of, like, fun things and wins, um, anything great that's been going on in your career world lately? Oh, man. That's always tough because don't we all struggle to like toot our own horns and like talk about all the positive things going on with us? That's like such a counterintuitive thing yep, to do. I'm going to force you to do it. Oh, great. I'm like sweating <laughs> over here now. Oh. <laughs> I mean, somewhat recently, I think one thing I was really proud of was writing the tip of the week in the Smarter Living newsletter for the New York Times, which was like, Sometimes I feel stupid even talking about it because it was like 300 some words. Like it was by no means like this big print feature or anything like that. But for me, like I am a, you know, small town Wisconsin freelance writer who, when I started five years ago, like never in a million years thought I would see my name anywhere near something that said the New York Times. So like when I got to sign a contract that said the New York Times at the top and I got the email with like my name in it, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening to me. It's amazing. I loved it. Yeah. It was like really a big, it was a big deal for me and it was a big deal for my mom. (laughs) Well, and it's really fun um, as somebody in this industry, like seeing all of your friends' names pop up in um, these just like renowned publications and um, I mean, you worked hard to get there and you have really good advice, so you earned it. Yeah. And I think it's weird too, like hearing you say, like seeing your friends' names pop up, like this field in this industry gets so small once you've been in it for a while, which kind of ties back to the connections thing we were talking about, but you will see the same names over and over again. And it really does start to feel closer knit than you would expect for a bunch of people spread across the globe. Well, and I think that it's it's such a friendlier industry than I ever anticipated to. Like I always thought of it as the devil wears Prada um, and thought mm-hmm. it was just going to be so competitive 
And, you know, I've talked about this a couple episodes ago, not launched yet, although hopefully it will be by the time this launches, um, just about how when, when I first got into the Muse pitch meetings, I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's so nice and it's such a safe space for being creative. And I really do think for the most part, this industry is a lot more accepting than I thought. And so I always am like wanting to connect people to like, oh, this person is really great to talk to. I think you just got an email from someone I connected you with today. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Yes. She's great. Hi, Jess. She's on an episode a few before this. Um, And so I don't know, it's just like a bunch of people, a a lot of strong females too, who just want to like help each other out. Yeah. I think that that's like one real positive. Cause I was kind of in the same boat as you, like you kind of have this image that it's this really competitive, like cutthroat industry. And that has just not been my experience at all. Some of my like best opportunities and gigs have been referrals from other freelancers who do something really similar to what I do, but maybe don't have the time or are interested in that assignment. So they, you know, recommend me. And so I like think the level of collaboration and support and kind of empowerment that there is has been really positive, but also really. Yeah. I mean, overall, it's been such a positive experience. And I will say just to be transparent, I have had one experience where an editor was just a complete nightmare but she didn't even know it. She didn't know that I knew because she ripped me apart on a Google Docs, not knowing I was going to view it. Um, and then we ended up not moving forward, but it was a blessing in disguise. I was like, I would not want to send any more words of mine your way. But I mean, mostly it's positive. There are, you know, a couple bad seeds in there who just want to look down on everything you do. But those are few and far between these days, I think. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's true, I think, for any industry or any position like there's always going to be some people who just aren't in the same boat but eh, ignore that no time for them no (laughs) No. brain space is allowed to be dedicated towards haters don't let them take up rent in your brain right waste of time and energy so um just one more thing before we kind of move on to the fire round that's at the end so we're sadly wrapping up Um, though I could probably have you on a million more times to talk about a million more things. Um, (laughs) Anything else that you think that all freelancers should know, whether they're aspiring or current freelancers? I know we've talked about a lot and you've given a lot of great advice, but any last words for them? Oh my gosh, that's a loaded question. Because in some ways I feel like, nope, I have nothing else. And in other ways I'm like, oh, I have a million things that I could say. I think like my biggest, I guess, encouragement or reminder would be, I think it's totally fine to be like inspired and to learn from other people and to like, you know, have that be your source of ambition. But I think the comparison trap, particularly in freelancing can be so nasty. And I think, especially with, you know, the age of social media and, you know, all of these things online, it becomes way too easy to compare where somebody is now versus like where you are. Um, So I get a lot of newbie freelancers who send me questions or interact with me and like they are beating themselves up because they expect to be doing what I'm doing right now or they're failing where like they just didn't see me or they didn't hear about what I was doing those five years ago when I was writing about storage units and like doing data entry. Like 
like I said, I think it's fine to be inspired by other people. And I think that that's great, but I never want people to like, just kind of compare themselves and like use other people as sort of their like barometer for how they're doing, because it's just never, you're never getting the full picture. A hundred percent. Thank you for that. I'm going to put that in a fortune cookie or something. It was maybe a little long for a fortune cookie. <laughs> it needs to be in like a, a bag. We need a really big fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah, a bag. You pull out like a word at a time and it's up to you to like rearrange them and make something. That's that a fun a night activity. That'd be great. Yeah, we come up with just like, several million dollar ideas. I, I'm, pr- I'm pushing that one. In this conversation alone. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so we're going to wrap up with a quick fire round. Are you ready? Oh, you make it sound so scary, but I guess it's not really on fire. No fire involved. (laughs) More like a cookie round. I don't know. You know, fortune cookie round. There we go. Full circle there. Okay. Okay. Favorite book? Changes, I feel like, on a daily basis. But today I'm going to say a book called Tell Me More by Kelly Clark. I have it. Okay. I'm sitting in the library right now and it's on my um, library's like hold list. Oh, I just read it like very recently. So that's what makes me feel kind of like I'm betraying a million other books by calling it my favorite. But if there was like one writer that I could em- emulate, like she is just amazing. The way that she just like tells these stories and these personal experiences in just like such a brilliant and witty and endearing way. Like she's just amazing. So the next question is favorite writer. Are you going to say her? I would, I would say her, but I didn't <laughs> want to just seem like, oh, well, Kat's read one book. <laughs> That's all she has. So my other favorite writer, I have a few, but I would say I really do like Gillian Flynn because I love like psychological thrillers. And I think she has a way like build so much suspense in her books. That's just. And also to make you like become invested in the characters. It's not just like, here's all this slashing and mystery. You you care. Right. And you're surprised. Yeah. I just think, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. You never anticipate the twists, which I think is like, that is skill because I'm sure if I were to write a psychological thriller, like it would just be so predictable. It probably couldn't even be called the psychological. Oh yeah. Thriller. And I remember, I forget which book of it it was, which book of hers it was, but I remember being like, okay, I know what's going to happen. I can't believe it's going this way. And I thought that for the whole book, I was like, I'll keep reading. And then I turned to like the second mm-hmm. section or whatever. And I was like, uh, what? I had to turn back. And be like, Am I in the same yeah. book? Right. Which is like impossible to do via writing, I feel like. But she's amazing. Okay. Favorite podcast. Um, (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) But when I'm not listening to that one, I really like um, one called Swindled, which is about like corporate greed and white collar crime or NPR's Hidden Brain, which Mm. is all like psychology based. Um, speaking of swindled which i haven't heard of but is going on my list on my walk home uh have you read bad blood i okay, haven't you'll like it it's uh written by john carey rue who is the journalist that broke the elizabeth holmes slash theranos story yeah it's all about that i watched the theranos documentary and that was yeah, fascinating. you'll like it and fun fact my friend's uncle is quoted in it which is just like the world just keeps getting smaller and smaller and caving in on me wow so i'm like somewhat famous by like i don't know 80 degrees yeah. of separation yeah actually i was saying the other day that i um <laughs> i got to through one of my jobs but so this is a cool thing about freelancing i got to email with sherry salada she is oprah's like 
she used to be her executive producer. And I was telling someone that and yeah. they go, you are one degree away from Oprah. Right. Oh my God. That's amazing. I basically hugged Oprah, even though I never even hugged Sherry. Right. And now I can say like, oh, my friend's uncle's, what was it? My Your friend's, friend's uncle. Okay. So I can be like, my friend's friend's uncle is quoted in that book. We'll be like, how do you know him? <laughs> yeah. We're very close. I'll just, I'll just have you email with her one day and then you can say, my email contacts uncle. Right. <laughs> My professional acquaintance's uncle. Okay, so last one. Favorite non-writing activity? Oh my gosh. Are my dogs an activity? Um, yeah, <laughs> hanging out with your dogs. I was gonna, I, I thought you were gonna say that. Hanging out, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, like that's so on brand for me. Like you knew I had to bring my dogs into this conversation more than once, but I would say like doing anything with my dogs, like hiking, taking them on a walk, watching Netflix on the couch, like especially when I work from home, like day in and day out, like they're my buds. So I just spend pretty much all of my time with them. And my husband is I think when too. I um, promote this episode, I'm going to have to also add in like share your post about Bert. Is it Bert who's afraid of the Christmas tree? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely afraid of the Christmas tree. And I just love like I share so much about my dogs. Like they've really just kind of become a part of who I am that like my marketing person that helps me with my website and, you know, a bunch of the stuff that I do on that side. She did this like whole analysis of what people search that brings them to my website. And like one of the top referrals is there was like 12 different versions of like cat and her dogs. All right. Well, the, <laughs> there's your new niche. Yeah. That people are Googling just cat and her dogs. Cat and her dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also like, who's actually typing that in? Like, I'm just imagining people all over the world, just like cat. I know that was kind of my first thought too, is like, also, what are they expecting <laughs> to find? Like, what are they looking for? Why don't they for? just go to my Instagram? <laughs> right. Like that's all my dogs. So like, what, like, is there some like trade <laughs> secret out there? They think about like me and my dogs. Like what, what are you, what or is there a different cat that's more famous than you are? <laughs> right. Maybe people like that. My name's cat and I or have maybe two dogs. People can't spell cat like C-A-T cat. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Like what, oh, what if it isn't even about me? <laughs> that would be really, we're going to, no, we can't go down that road. That's then we're, com we're comparing we to a this. fake cat. We don't know. <laughs> right. True. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Kat, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I had a really lovely time. Oh, me too. This was a blast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sounds About Right podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and do that. If you are, I'd love if you could leave us a review. If you're a writer, know any writers, or simply just want to get in touch, email us at soundsaboutrightpod at gmail.com or find us at soundsaboutrightpod on Instagram. Talk to you soon. Bye.